With the Super Bowl wrapped up, the NFL season for all 32 teams is officially underway. We take a look at what the Giants avoided by having Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka not get head coaching jobs, and also the first step in bringing back some talent as Joe Shane and the Giants re-sign Lawrence Cager. We break it down next. Ah, yes, my friends, it's OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where, of course, I am your host, Adam Armbrecht, also covering the Brooklyn Nets, the new look Brooklyn Nets, following the big trades of Kyrie and KD over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy, Doug Norrie. This is going to be a little toe into the water of the offseason, I think. We, we've had these discussions, and we'll, we'll highlight Wink Martindale, Mike Kafka. We'll obviously maybe have a little look at some of the takeaways after the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl over the Philadelphia Eagles always has to feel good. If you're a Giants fan, if you're an NFC East fan, you don't want your maybe rival, right? Maybe the most hated rival at this point, depending on where you fall on the franchise fandom spectrum. Um, having the Eagles come up just short there is always uh, a positive vibe <laughs> around around the uh, the Giants fan base. But We'll also take a look at Lawrence Cager. He gets brought back, announced that uh, he's going to re-sign with the Giants. They had exclusive rights on him going into free agency. And I think there is something that can be kind of gleamed from this move from Joe Shane. There's going to be a lot of uh, small moves like this along the way. But before we dive into that, um, one theme that I just thought, if we're going to take anything away from the Super Bowl that matters to the New York Giants, beyond the Kadarius Tony piece, which uh, you know I'm sure some fans are lamenting not having him there. We know that James Bradbury and he commits a penalty and all that good stuff that goes into it. But beyond that is the reason that the chiefs were able to have success in that second half while they were, while they were able to have that comeback, it was the offensive line play, right? You're talking about one of the highest volume sack accumulators in the Philadelphia Eagles defensive front. And they were able to keep them off of Patrick Mahomes, a guy that went into the half with maybe obviously what ends up being, I think, a high ankle sprain. They ultimately determined it to be. We know he was dealing with injuries leading up to the Super Bowl. That's exactly what you need to have in front of one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But what about in front of Daniel Jones? Right. So even though we there's a lot of things from this past season that we liked from the New York football giants, from Joe Shane, from Brian Dable, this whole coaching staff all the way down to a number of key players across this roster, it's also important to remember that the play in front of this QB is as critical as anything. We talk so much about needing that number one wide receiver, which we'll get into as this offseason progresses, because we know that the free agent pool is going to be thin. The draft class, it's going to be interesting where the Giants are and what they're able to get. Um, and then there's also the cost and the price point, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit more with the Lawrence Cager signing. But ultimately... It was because they had the guys in front, because they were able to scheme time for Patrick Mahomes to get that ball out of his hands, to let those routes develop for Travis Kelsey. Those things all mattered in order to be able to have success. And that's something that I think we come back to. And I talked about last week on the show, 
listen, you can have high hopes for a Nick Gates to be a contributor or for, you know, uh, to have a guy like Shane Lemieux come back and be something for this team. But uncertainty is what you can't have going into this upcoming season. And I won't I won't belabor it. Go watch uh, our last episode where I discussed wanting and, and borderline demanding that the Giants find the center that is going to pair with Daniel Jones for the next decade. It, it cannot be that every one to two years you rotate through a new center, develop new continuity, not just with the quarterback, but also across the line. You want consistency, especially on the interior, and the Giants know they need to check those boxes while also keeping an eye on the development of Evan Neal and where his progress is going to be in year number two. So that was really, if I was going to take just one little thing away, that was certainly critical, especially when you look at the Chiefs side and remember that they don't have the same cast of characters over there from a weapon standpoint, still a bevy of weapons. But here's another one that I took away from it. How about Pacheco? He's a seventh round pick at the running back position and was a key contributor in the second half of this season. And it does tie into this idea around what are the Giants going to do with Saquon Barkley, trying to negotiate that contract. Are they going to come to terms? At some point, you have to look at the hierarchy of needs and say, if we improve significantly, if we solidify the offensive line, that improves quarterback play and improves running back play. It improves wide receiver play, all of those things, right? So it is fascinating to kind of look at this Super Bowl and look at the team that won and then look at the cast, right? Look at the wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster coming up with some big catches there in the second half of that game after basically being quiet. But how do we regard him as a top 10 wide receiver? Of course not. So there are ways to manufacture success. Obviously, we're not the one comparison we're not making is Daniel Jones to Patrick Mahomes, but there are ways to manufacture success, and it's all about having a total team approach to it and filling the key needs that you have across this roster. One other piece, obviously, that came out over these last, the last couple of weeks, really, and going back even a little bit further, Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka both being courted into second rounds of interviews, uh, whether it's the Arizona Cardinals, both were in on the Indianapolis Colts. And then ultimately we saw that Wink would not be landing that Colts job out of the running was Mike Kafka for the Cardinals. I think overall that this is always a good thing. Continuity. The, the, that's that's going to be the, <laughs> the, the hot button word to use here. It's nice to not have to turn it over. Um, from a Mike Kafka standpoint on the offensive side, and Andy and I discussed this going back a couple of weeks, I don't know if it mattered. You know, it, it's tricky. Younger mind or play caller, you, you're thinking about the development of Daniel Jones. You obviously want to have that there. We were debating who would you be more comfortable losing. Obviously, if you have faith in Brian Dable as the architect of the offense and then collaborating with Kafka, you'd say, hey, if we lose Kafka, it's okay. We can find a way to elevate someone on the squad, coaching staff, excuse me, bring someone in from the outside and keep it rolling. Wink Martindale, the one thing that I think I can now reflectively look back and say is when Andy was saying, hey, if you need to up his salary to retain him, you go ahead and do that. And I think on the one hand, this is like signing free agency, signing free agents or spending money or anything like that. It's always easy to spend other people's money, right? Owner's money doesn't affect the cap to do so. But this is the patient approach. Yeah, maybe. Wink Martindale is going to potentially have the opportunity to be hired away to the Colts. And I think like there's two sides to it. So on the one hand, you're patient and what ends up happening? Well, he's back as a Giants defensive coordinator and you don't have to worry about overpaying him, right? The panic move would be, 
we feel like we cannot possibly risk losing you as a coach that we're going to go this extra mile. And remember, John Mara has a recent track record of having to carry the weight of contracts as he has let go of coaches repeatedly before their contract was up. So he still had to pay out some bills. And it's not nearly as big as um, Matt Rule down in Carolina, but it still counts, right? It still hurts the wallet. And we know that the Giants franchise, this is not the multi-billionaire franchise in terms of the way that they spend and their willingness to spend and all those things. So it does matter. And now you end up getting back Wink Martindale without having to do anything else other than being patient. And I think one of the biggest reasons that I look at it as being beneficial. So there's a couple of, a couple of angles to it, right? The obvious one is just that, okay, same system. And now you get to add some more talent to it, right? Now we can go into an off season. We talked about it. Um, key positions that you're going to look at linebacker, obviously more edge rushing depth, potentially more defensive line help, like all those things into the secondary as well. But obviously having the same system in place is an important piece. But specifically when you look at this team and you think about the young players on it, like we have our concerns around the defense and health, I think certainly, right? Robinson, is he coming back healthy? And if he comes back healthy, is he a number two cornerback? Like we, we didn't really get the sample size to suggest that we know for sure. And then you go into Cordell Flott and the younger players and how they can develop. So the developmental side is Cordell Flott, Dane Belton, even Xavier McKinney, still you know on the younger side, right? When we talk about a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau and continue to develop him, I think that that's a value there. We saw how valuable Dexter Lawrence was for this team, giving him another season under his belt as we look towards his extension and Wink Martindale developing what he wants him to do in the middle of that defensive front. You know, Aziz Ojolari, you have the injury concerns around him, obviously, but if he can be healthy, we saw how explosive it was in a somewhat limited sample size this season. So all those guys are young players that can continue to develop, continue to grow. But the Aziz Ojolari piece is worth noting, too, because you're also talking about Darian Beavers, right, coming back off of the injury. You're talking about Davidson in the interior of that defensive front and if he can develop as well. And then these other players. So I do think, like, when you're in a, you know, we look at the record at the end of the season, the Giants made the playoffs, we think it's not a rebuild. Well, it is still a rebuild. And they had a great first season of the rebuild. But there could be some regression on the way. And for young developing players, I think that's as important as anything that you can do is have the consistency and familiarity, right? So now all of these younger guys get to go into the offseason saying, same language, same system, same approach. I can dive deeper. That's what you're hoping is that you have the level of dedication and focus from these players to say, I got to get a layer deeper on this. I need to refine my skills. How can I improve? And then if you're Wink Martindale, what can I continue to add in here as we bring in some additional pieces? So that's really important. And likewise for the offensive side, by the way, like same thing with Mike Kafka. It's just, you have a little bit more of a safeguard there with Dable in place, but you can certainly look at it and say, well, what would Mike Kafka like to do if they go to the draft, they go to, you know, I'm going to keep saying the draft because that's where I think most of the work is going to get done here for Big Blue. But if they go to the offseason and say, hey, with a piece here and a piece there, I feel like, Mike Kafka, that I can go ahead and expand some of what we want to accomplish here. So it'll be interesting to see the way in which the Giants approach adding some pieces here. But continuity is never a bad thing, and the Giants are certainly going to keep a lot of that in-house. Now, the other thing that happened here 
is which obviously the big domino that we expected to fall. Lawrence Cager, who the Giants had uh, exclusive rights on him as a free agent, is already returning. It was announced on Monday afternoon. So yesterday afternoon, 25-year-old tight end will be re-signed. This is, here's what I thought was interesting. Because I was high on him when they snagged him off of the practice squad for the New York Jets. I think that there is obviously an opportunity for, for him to develop. I thought this past season the reason why he was valuable was because you were talking about a player that filled a, a need for the Giants in not only tight end room when you have rookie, a rookie tight end, Daniel Bellinger, obviously, but then also veterans that are more some blocking. They can do some things out in space, but they're a little bit stiffer, a little more traditional mold tight end. And they have some other players that they've rotated through. But Lawrence Cager coming out, like this is what he is, an athletic tight end that you can use out in space and can hit a handful of home runs for you uh, along the way as well. So I really liked bringing him back into this fold. And if we go and look at, there's two things that I wanted to talk about with him, and it's not to overstate bringing him back, but there is an overall theme here for the offseason for the Giants. So when you go back and look at, this was a borderline when it comes to a prospect grade coming out of college. This was a borderline, could be, develop into a starter, high-end backup player. And the key bullet points just away from him was outstanding size combined with athleticism. And this was, I thought was important too. scored a touchdown once every 5.6 catches. And the reason why I bring that up is because when you go and look at his stats and you know that he had over the course of this season in very limited reps comes in midway through 13 catches on, I believe 18 targets. I'll confirm that in a second for 118 yards and a touchdown in the seven games after being signed in mid-October. And against the Eagles, obviously, he played almost exclusively backups, but Cager had the career high, eight receptions, 69 yards. Now, 203 snaps for the Giants. The, I look at him in a not dissimilar way to Isaiah Hodgins. Now, we didn't get as much of a sample size here as we did with Isaiah Hodgins, and we didn't get some high-leverage opportunities like Isaiah Hodgins had to really show off what his skill set is, that he can be a contributor, wherever you want to put him as the third, right, fourth wide receiver on your depth chart. I think you'd still prefer it to be, where's our true number one, then Wandale Robinson coming back from injury, and then having Isaiah Hodgins in the mix there as well. And we'll talk about the receiving core in this offseason. But a guy like Cager is just he, he provides the opportunity to move him around the formation to create better pockets for Daniel Bellinger, to create better underneath routes for Isaiah Hodgins. And then, as I mentioned there, the touchdown every 5.6 catches, I, I think he is a bit of the home run hitter for this team. Remember, 13 catches for 118 yards. I mean, it's halfway through the season. What does that look like over the you know over a 17-game season, fully healthy, an extra 10 games under his belt? He can be, in my opinion, a 35 reception a year kind of guy, maybe more. He can give you three to three to 350, 400 yards maybe in a season. And again, I'm still looking at Daniel Bellinger to take the next big step forward in his development to be the guy that can do both blocking and receiving, right? To have that kind of traditional New York Giants tight end mold when we think back to the Kevin Bosses of the world. But a Lawrence Cager is a nice weapon. He's versatile, and I think that you can catch him at the right moment here, keeping him around this roster. And then when you bring in the other pieces through the draft, when it comes to the wide receiver room, 
all of a sudden those opportunities are going to open up for him. I really like him. Listen, he had some injury concerns coming out of college. He has to stay a little bit more focused in terms of the route combinations, making sure that he sits down sharp when he's coming back to the quarterback, doesn't get lazy on some of those routes running him into coverage. But we saw it. We saw the sample size on the 13 catches that this is a guy, given the opportunity, can operate in space against the secondary. And remember, it's a guy that was operating in those spaces coming in midway through the season or midway through October, I should say, and also operating in a situation where he didn't even have the full complement of the best version of playmakers around him as well. So I really like it. Here's the other thing that I think it's worth noting about the Lawrence Cager signing. There's going to be a lot of low-level guys, you know, low-level, quote-unquote, um, returning players like this. Maybe some guys that will be added in, in free agency as well. But what's really worth noting to me is I saw this come up a couple of times already about what might the Giants go do in free agency? How could they spend some money after they sort out Daniel Jones? And it'll be interesting to see where that dollar money, a dollar amount comes for his contract. But there was already a little bit about like Mike Gesicki bringing him in, right? Former Miami Dolphin, 27 years old, right in the sweet spot. But you can go over, and these things are fluid, but over on Spot Track, if you want to go look at what his value is, it's 8.2 annual value. They're looking at a four for 32, 33 million on the open market here. And again, while the Giants do are always going to want to improve this offseason, 8 million, it's just not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen when you look at the, the cap room that the Giants have, and we did this last week too. Even if you want to add in just straight cutting Kenny Galladay and getting that money back and the restructure on a uh, Leonard Williams to free up some additional cap space. So we can talk about, yeah, we're going to bring back Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, and it's going to eat up all of the $45 million we have right now, but we'll free up another 20 to $30 million with these other moves. Okay, great. You can do that. But then you're still sitting there saying, remember, we know draft class, which won't be as expensive because they're picking on the back end here. They're not picking high. And then also operating money going into the regular season, right? So there's not going to be this, in my opinion, a seismic shift here when it comes to the offseason and what this team is going to be able to go and spend. We saw some people, I think it might have been Xavier McKinney, who even mentioned it over on Twitter, talking about Evan Ingram, thinking about coming back. He's a north of $9 million on the open market. Just 26 going to be uh, Ingram. Sorry, 28 years old. Uh, Dalton Schultz out of Dallas is going to be 26, 27 years old. So all these things, right? But if you're talking about what the Giants, what Joe Shane is going to accomplish this offseason, I look at a move like this with Lawrence Cager where you're saying, hey, we're checking a box here. Not, not a high end, not a starter, but we're checking a box to say, where are we with our baseline as we go into the offseason, as we go into the draft? Because And then as we come out, what do we need to accomplish and check? And this is the other discussion. Can the Giants go into the draft and look to supplement another tight end there as well? Do I think they could do that? Sure. And I talked about it. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a hierarchy there. But I'm putting that need behind, in no particular order, wide receiver, linebacker, offensive line, offensive line again, maybe, maybe linebacker again. Uh, secondary, we're going to need to want to bring somebody in there too. It You start to get five and six layers down the board here, and then running back you can throw in, not just depending on if you bring back Barkley or not, but regardless in some ways, um, you're going to maybe want to take a look at that in the later rounds. 
So you can, yes, you can go and bring in a tight end. And we saw them find Daniel Bellinger in the middle rounds. So can you go do that again? Yes. But do I think it's likely that they're going anywhere near that in their first, second, or multiple third rounds with the compensatory? No, I don't. Because the other needs here are going to be so much more critical. And it's why bringing back a player like Lawrence Cager, I think, sends the signal. Just drafted Daniel Bellinger, have some other players, some pieces that we can utilize. That's going to be where we are on that position. Maybe something in the margins happens, but I don't see a Mike Gesicki, an Evan Ingram. There's nobody, I don't, nobody coming in in free agency for the New York football giants at this position because the need board and what the giants have to accomplish this offseason, tight end just does not raise to the level where you say, okay, this is worth going and getting. One final note on the, um, looking back at the Super Bowl and obviously Kadarius Tony. He makes the big play on the punt return. It's a game-shifting play. Has the touchdown as well. It's all good. Um, but the one thing that will be fascinating to watch is what does that draft capital turn into? And listen, he was in his second year, and he's a first-round pick, so he'll be entering year number three. And then the following, they'll make the decision on the fifth-year option or how they're going to extend him. But remember, we went over and looked at, if I went over... As I'll, try to rem- as I'll try to take a look at Kadarius Tony coming out as a first-round pick, and obviously in the 20s there. If you looked at his contract right now and thought about where the Giants have been financially, and the fact that they obviously that they drafted Wondell Robinson, which, by the way, I, I was having a hard time figuring it out because a lot of what was going on early in the season was, well, you know, is he injured? Is he not injured? Can he play? Can he not play? Does he want not want to be here? But when they drafted Wandell Robinson in that moment, not expecting them to draft Wandell Robinson, but once they did, it was this to me was a clear indication of a skill set value that they want to replace. And ultimately that came to fruition. So the four year, $13.8 million contract uh, coming out of the draft, which had a 7.3 signing bonus and 13.8 guaranteed. You break it out across it. Obviously, it's not like a huge number, but the Giants, again, like the Giants need every single penny that they can manage to squeeze out of this thing. And when you get a three and a six and you're a team that needs to fill needs, needs to fill needs, uh, you're going to find yourself, I think, going back into this draft and saying, well, what did that compensatory pick turn into? An inside linebacker, right? Like a guy that ends up, playing 65 70% of the reps on that side of the ball at a key position of need yes that can be the case maybe another wide receiver that ends up being your third best wide receiver at some point through the course of the season and going forward so those things matter and I think that's the perspective that I've had and at times have wavered away from but keep coming back to yes it's easy to look and say that the Giants have have cap room now and they can make more, and the cap's going to go up next year. All those things are true. But the reality is that Joe Shane said it when he first came in. I don't want to end up taking on a lot of big money down the road, pushing contracts off. So he's going to try to do everything to avoid that, including dead money. But I do think that decision on uh, Kenny Galladay is coming sooner than later. But it's not going to be these home run swings to try to say we're in win-now mode, or even close to win-now mode. It's going to be, how do we make the decisions in the margins that improve our team and allow us the ability to spend the next season and the season after that drafting in, replenishing ourselves with draft capital and building a core 
that we can rely on going forward. Because remember, there's a lot of misses, not in just in Dave Gettleman's era. There's also misses going back to Jerry Reese's era. Go back to Jerry Reese and remember what he did when it came to free agency. Spent huge money in an offseason and then ended up really being a financial burden, even for Dave Gettleman, who made his own set of mistakes. But he came in with issues financially to begin with. Then he swings big in free agency. And sometimes those things just don't work out. The Nate Solder one was best tackle on the market. Have to go get him. We all universally liked it, loved it, even the overpay. And then it turns out that he is a shell of himself and he's not going to be able to be that guy for you. Yeah, it looks absolutely brutal. But there are hard decisions from a GM standpoint of saying, what is the risk and what is the reward, right? You know, and Glowinski at guard is a really good example of this. It's a three-year contract that they bring him in on. Not a lot of money to work with last offseason. Is he an all is he a pro bowler? No. What was the what was the reward? Consistent play. Maybe he ends up being you know one of our best offensive linemen and he can lock down that position for three years. Okay, great. What was the risk? The risk was that he's like a marginal guard, serviceable starter that may get overtaken in year two or three potentially. And the risk is he's a really solid backup on the interior of that offensive line at both guard positions. That's the type of decisions that I think Joe Shane is trying to make, where it's, yes, it improves the team, even if it's not the flashiest decision, but it also safeguards against other risks, like a Shane Lemieux being a fifth-round pick that we were all excited about but maybe it's just going to have too many injury problems to really be a contributor for this team in the long term. Like a Nick Gates, who is coming back from a gruesome leg injury and maybe can find a role for himself on this roster. But at least Glowinski, you know, has the track record of being able to show up and play pretty consistent ball on the interior of an offensive line. That matters. Because I just listed two other guys on the inside that haven't been consistent. And I can list Matt Pert inside of that group as well, right? I can even list John Feliciano. You talk about signing him in the offseason. The risk there was, hey, this could have some ugly moments in it. The reward was he's tenacious. We're familiar with him. And we feel like we have a pretty consistent floor that we can ask of from him. Band-aids, right? Some longer-term band-aids, some shorter ones. But that's what Joe Shane accomplished in his past offseason to get through this year and get to another draft class. And I think for the most part in free agency, it's going to be more of the same beyond the decisions with Daniel Jones and with Saquon Barkley. That being the case, um, we are going to continue to take a look here at some of the things this off season. We remind you, if you're over on YouTube right now, checking it out. Thank you very much. If you're not someone who frequently flies with us, head over, hit the subscribe, turn on the alert. So you see when we're going live this off season, get the podcast where you get those needs fulfilled too. And one other note, couple people did this uh, coming out of last week's episode later this afternoon, probably in the 2 p.m. hour East Coast time. If we're trying to be specific, you will see over on spot uh, over on Substack, excuse me, going up with my first couple of articles, looking at a handful of prospects in the upcoming draft that the Giants can utilize to improve this team. I was thinking about maybe tight end as being one of those options just to have a little bit of fun early. Maybe we'll push that one back a little. Take a look at the wide receiver room. Take a look at the linebacker room. So at least one, if not two articles will go up later today. So for the people that went over and subscribed, awesome. Really appreciate it. Absolutely absolutely love it. Go over and do that so you see some of the other things that we won't get to flesh out in totality on the podcast on an episode-to-episode basis, but it'll break down 
Where are these prospects on the multitude of draft boards that you can go look? Average draft position that they're being taken in. And you're going to probably find that in a lot of these positional values, especially when we move into the second, third, and fourth rounds, you're going to see where I'm pulling a fifth round, a fourth round prospect up from a middle fourth to being worthy of the compensatory three, or even from even the back end of the fourth round. Positional need, value, and where I think that skill set fits inside of this Giants team. Those are all the things that I'll break down as I go over top three, top five prospects at positions that I like. And again, this is not top five best players available. It's guys that I think fit, guys I think the Giants can go get, and where I think they should target them in the draft. So be sure to check that out as well. It's been a, a lot of fun doing it over these last few seasons when it comes to drafts, comes to mock drafts, which I'm holding off on doing as long as I can. But we can kind of slowly develop our prospect board together so be a part of that as well. Thanks so much for everyone who came in here. Saw you, Salazar. Good to see you in the conversation. We will be back again uh, later this week, probably before the end of the week, Thursday or Friday. We'll continue to develop some of our thoughts around what it means to retain the coaching staff overall, how this team also can improve on the offensive side of the ball, game planning, calling, scripting. What do they need to do in terms of talent acquisition to make sure that Mike Kafka and Brian Dable have every opportunity to open up that playbook going into next season. Thank you as always for joining us on the one giant podcast. And as Andy would want, need and nay demand the people know as always let's go big blue. <laughs>